Our scripture lesson for the sermon this evening is in Ephesians. As we continue our study of that letter, a brief overview of Ephesians for our evening services. Turn to chapter 3 of Ephesians, and I'll be reading the first 13 verses. And so this is the word of God, as he gave to Paul to write under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is without error, as Paul wrote it. It is the inspired and therefore the infallible, the inerrant word of God. So let us heed it as we read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective work working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, This grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. That ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Thank you. Bless its reading and its exposition and its hearing. Well, up to this point... In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been uh, giving uh, certain doctrinal basics. Uh, He's written of the astounding wonder of our salvation for no merit of our own, but rather it is the result of God's grace alone, working through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. In his grace, God the Father elected his people from before the foundations of the world, Paul said in the first chapter. God the Son entered history, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and rose from the dead to redeem his people from sin. And God the Holy Spirit sealed, guaranteed the promises to Christ's people and brings them from spiritual death to life, grants them the faith by which they hold on to Christ. And his righteousness is imputed to them. The same Holy Spirit empowers them to do good works. We saw this in chapter 2, sanctifying them. Uh, He also binds all of God's chosen Jew and Gentile into one new people, one family, one holy temple. 
This is the reason that Paul is driven to his knees in reverence and awe at the wondrousness of what God has done uh, in chapter 3, verse 14, when we get to that in the future, Lord willing, uh, he'll say, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. In verse 1 he calls himself, verse 1 of chapter 3, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. That is, on behalf of the Gentiles, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Well, we know from Acts chapters 9, 22, and 26 that Jesus chose Paul with the purpose of sending him to preach the gospel to Gentiles, uh, that is, to non-Jewish nations. Acts 21 describes Paul's arrest by the Romans when a riot broke out and caused... Uh, It was caused by Jews who falsely accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And uh, to start with, Paul is taken into a sort of protective custody. But the Roman governor of Judea at that time uh, kept him, as Luke later tells us, hoping to get a bribe from him. And he stayed in prison for about two years before the governor changed. And the new governor wanted to hear, well, why is Paul kept in prison here? And he hears Paul's case. And he probably was about to set Paul free when Paul appealed his case to Caesar and then gets sent to Rome, as I mentioned this morning. He was imprisoned, though there in Caesarea, and having appealed that case to Caesar, he eventually is sent to Rome. It was from that imprisonment that Paul wrote this letter, truly a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. In verses 2 and 3, he refers then to his conversion and his commission by Christ as apostle to the Gentiles. He says that he's a an apostle, or he's, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles in verse 1, if indeed, verse 2, you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God which was given to me for you. So he's mentioning there, he was given this special grace, Christ dispensed his grace for the sake of the Gentiles. This is how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already. So he tells them that this letter is communicating to them what he as an apostle has received, what has been been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit to the other apostles also and through them then in a clearer way than has ever been revealed to previous generations. He calls this the mystery of Christ. And today we use that word mystery in maybe a little different way than Paul's using it here. We tend to, to use it for anything that's unknown to us. Will I ever understand my wife? It's a mystery. Right? Men often feel like the thoughts of their wives are mysteries to them. It's something they won't ever understand.
is Bigfoot real? It's a mystery. You know, people say things like that. That's not how the word is actually used in the New Testament. The Greek word from which it comes, from which we get our word mystery, and the way the word that Paul uses here, mysterion, had more the implication of something that was previously hidden that is now in the process of being uncovered or is now being made clear. So if you were to watch a mystery program on television, uh, to us the mystery is the whodunit aspect. You know, somebody is maybe killed at the beginning of an episode, and then there's a detective trying to figure out, well, who killed this person? It's the mystery. But the way that mystery is used here by Paul is more to speak of what happens at the end of the episode of that television show, which is when they reveal who actually did it and why they think so. And this mystery is revealed in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. He says back in verse 5, he refers to this mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So, so it was previously something unknown. Now it's something that is being made clear. And what is it that's being made clear again? Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. This is not a new thing. It's, it's to be found in the Old Testament, but it's not nearly so clear. And now Paul is saying, that by appointing me particularly to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and through the things that he taught and through the things he's teaching through his apostles, Christ is saying, now this gospel is not just for the nation of Israel, the, the descendants of the body of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but it's for all who would believe. And as we saw before, who they are thereby become members of the household of Israel, the household of God, and are as stones in a temple that God is building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as the chief cornerstone. So this was hinted at, it was predicted in the Old Testament. We, we see Old Testament scriptures that, that teach this kind of thing. Well, Isaiah chapter 11 Verse 10, I'll just flip there really quickly and we'll maybe see a few scriptures here, at least I'll show you one. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse 10. It says, And in, the day, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. In chapter 42, Verse 6 of Isaiah. Where he says, I the Lord have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another. So here we show, we see by the way in that verse that the glory that Christ shares with the Father shows that because the Lord doesn't give his glory to another, that Christ is one and the same God with the Father. But he's giving him 
not as just as a light to the nation of Israel, but as a light to the Gentiles. And we could go on and on and on with other scriptures. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, Daniel 7, 14, Isaiah 49, 6, 60, 10 through 12, numerous other passages predicted that the nations would come and worship the God of Israel. Now, it has been revealed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What was hinted at back then is now made clear in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. God in Christ is making his people out of those he has chosen from every nation, uniting them to the covenant promises that he gave to Israel. He's saving the faithful remnant of Israel and adding to them all who believe from every tongue and tribe and nation. Several things Paul notes about this mystery of the gospel can be found in this chapter. Number one, Paul has been made its minister by God's grace. We already noted that. He says this was a grace that was given to him. As if to prove that this is all by the Lord's doing, the Lord's grace, his free gift, the Lord chose to proclaim his gospel to the Gentiles in fulfillment of those Old Testament promises through an apostle who was persecuting his church. So Paul will say here that he's the least of all the saints. Not only is God surprisingly choosing Gentiles to receive his covenant promises, but he's chosen a Jew who hated Christ and persecuted his people to do it. That's only God who could accomplish something like that. And moreover, he chose, of all the Jews he could have chosen who probably hated Christ and wouldn't have loved him, of course no no one would, except by the grace of God, But of all the Jews he could have chosen, he chose a Pharisee who would have wanted to keep his distance from Gentiles. Pharisees commonly called Gentiles dogs, unclean creatures. Dogs were not pets you kept around for fun or for hunting or anything like that if you were a Jew in the Old Testament period. You wanted nothing to do with them. They were unclean animals that ran around in the streets and ate garbage. They ate your cast-offs, things that you threw away. Or they ate carrion, they ate dead things they found. This is why so often in the Old Testament it's considered a a curse to say that someone's blood will be licked up by dogs, like as was said about Jezebel. Pharisees had a very low view, generally, of Gentiles. And now, God has chosen such a man and changed his heart and commanded him to preach fellowship between Jew and Gentile through the Lord's Messiah. But God worked his power in Paul, made him his apostle to the Gentiles. There's one thing we note. Another thing we note about this mystery of the gospel, it proclaims unsearchable riches to Gentiles. As we see in verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The same plan and benefit 
of salvation that was revealed to Old Testament Israel is now available to everyone, no matter what their background, who trusts in Jesus Christ. That is unsearchable riches, eternal blessings. Third thing he notes is that it has been God's plan all along as we see in verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So again, there, there's the, the word who was in the beginning. And all things were made by him. Nothing was made by him that was not made. Got that wrong. Got my tongue tied there a little bit. There was... Anything that was made, not anything that was made, was not made by him. Which is a bit of a convoluted way of speaking, but John is making the point there in the first three verses of his gospel that if this word who was God and who was with God was created and then created all things, there would be something that he did not create, namely himself. But he is the uncreated creator And this one came and humbled himself to be one of us. It was always God's intention that this be, so he's called the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. This has been God's plan all along. In creating the universe, God already had it planned. Who would be among his chosen people? People from every ethnicity. Even, by the way, our word ethnicity comes from the word that's used for nations here, for those nations foreign to Israel, the ethnoi. People from every ethnicity, every nation, every language group. Verse 11 is according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. fourth thing we see here is the church manifests the great wisdom of God. How many things can be brought together? So it's called manifold wisdom here. For one purpose, God brings things together for one purpose. How that one thing, the church, can fulfill so much of God's intent for the whole universe that he created which we find in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Things incomprehensible even to heavenly beings, to what we commonly call angels, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, to the principalities and powers. These are displayed in the church. And perhaps, as many Bible commentators think, Paul when he often refers to principalities and powers as referring particularly to what we would call fallen angels, those who are in rebellion against God, the church is sort of a way of God vindicating himself before them, showing them what a ridiculous thing it is that they rebelled. As the church preaches the gospel, it's claiming people out from under the the, the boot, as it were, of these wicked beings who are out in the world attempting to create false religions and all sorts of things that have kept people in darkness 
age after age. That's why Paul calls false doctrines the doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy 4.1. So things even incomprehensible to those beings, and perhaps even to the holy angels, are displayed in the church, this assembly of God's people made of redeemed sinners elected from out of the whole human race. The fifth thing we find about the mystery of Christ here is the eternal plan for the elect is realized. It's made real in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 11 also. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Greek literally says this purpose of the ages was made in Christ Jesus. That is, Christ fulfilled the plan that God made before creating the world. It was always to be made and carried out in Christ Jesus. The sixth thing about this mystery we see is that in Christ, we who are now God's family can be bold and confident as we approach God. God is a judge to every sinner. And yet, we in Christ can dare to approach Him because we are not as those who... Remember Isaiah's reaction when he just saw a vision of the heavenly throne room? Woe unto me, right? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How dare I be in even this presentation of the throne room of God in this vision? How dare I be anywhere near it? So many people in the Old Covenant period, when they saw an angel, or particularly the angel of the Lord, and realized that they saw God, were either, like Jacob, amazed, for I have seen God face to face and yet live, or like the parents of Samson, Manoah and his wife, who say when they, when they see the angel of the Lord, realize who it was that was talking with them then, and he uh, ascends up into heaven, accepts uh, their sacrifice. Manoah says, we're dead for we have seen God. They knew the reality of the fact that the Lord cannot abide sin in his presence. And there, of course, he was mitigating that holy presence so that they weren't destroyed by it. But you and I can, in boldness, approach the throne of God. Not in arrogance. Yes, we should acknowledge our unworthiness so as to glorify God for his grace that he's given, but... We need not be simpering and timid in our approach to God because we don't approach by our own merits. We approach by the perfect merits of Jesus Christ. We're covered in Christ's righteousness. And so we can be confident that the promises God has made in Christ are ours. He hears our prayers. He cares about our needs. He loves us as his own children for the sake of Jesus. No matter what is happening to us, we can be sure of at least two things. Number one, God is in control and has a purpose for us in whatever is happening. And number two, he hears us. He loves us. He cares for all who trust in Jesus Christ. So we can be very bold and confident to go into his presence. So Paul could say in verse 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Paul's going through something, 
that when he wrote this letter, he would have been in his Roman imprisonment, the first one, which essentially was a house arrest. He was stuck in a in a place that he had to rent, essentially, and uh, pay for his own upkeep. And of course, he was only able to do that by the generosity of the churches. Chained to a Roman soldier day and night. There would have been a rotation of them uh, coming and being chained to Paul, which of course gave him the opportunity to preach to them and preach to the household of Caesar but through them. But this was not a, a circumstance that you would ask to be in. It's not something that Paul probably prayed, well, Lord, I pray that you'll put me in prison for two years and then send me to Rome and keep me locked up while I'm there, too. No, nobody prays or nobody asks for that. But what Paul probably had prayed, something along the lines of, whatever it takes, Lord, let me be successful as your apostle. And this is what it took. This is what God intended. God was in control and God was using those tribulations for Paul's sake and for the sake of all of the church through Paul, and he was indeed hearing Paul's prayers. He loved Paul and was showing his love for Paul and for all of the church through these circumstances. God has a purpose of glory for his people. And he's working it out even in the most adverse of circumstances. We have the blessing of the fact that Right now, over the internet, we have a, a sick family at home, or a family with, with sick members at home. We have Peg, who had a broken hip and had to have surgery, and she's over the phone with us now. Those are not circumstances we want, but we know that even in those circumstances, God is doing something for the good of his people. Whatever troubles you're enduring today, tomorrow, or many years from now, don't lose heart. That's a good example to us that Paul didn't. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, you can know that God chose you from all eternity. He has not just a purpose for your life here and now, but He does. He has a purpose for all of these struggles, but He has a purpose for you for all eternity as well. And that purpose involves unsearchable riches. The mystery of Christ decreed by God in eternity past is now revealed. God has chosen a people for himself out of the fallen world. He has redeemed them, made them into one people, whether they started off as Jew or Gentile, no matter what nationality they began. They're one people with God's people, one people with Christ's family. And he has made them all his heirs and partakers of his promises. God never rejects anyone who approaches him through his Son. And so we can be confident as his family. He makes them his own family, his children and heirs to his riches. And so like children to a loving father, we can be bold to come before the throne of the living God. Well, let's pray. Gracious and eternal God, we thank you that your sovereign decrees for your people have been revealed in Jesus Christ so that things hidden even from the angels are seen now in your church. Make us both humble to rely on Christ and confident to approach you through faith in him that we might 
be assured of the unsearchable riches of the revelation of the mystery of Christ that we now have. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.